All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, if you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll begin that new book, Ephesians chapter 1. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to spend some time with you. We need some refreshing and some encouragement and um, just some clarification, uh, especially in this letter. We know that Paul determines to make sure everybody understands and knows some of the basics of what they have in you, what they've, what they've inherited, what they've received from you as a treasure, but also how to live and how to walk and what the church is supposed to look like. And well, we need to understand these things. It's not just necessarily for a pick-me-up in, in the middle of the week, although it works like that. It's also to help us become even more grounded, more stable in our walk, our understanding. It changes the way we think and the way we view the world. And we really want all that you have for us tonight. We pray the kids are blessed as they get taught your word. And we pray that they'd be grounded in their faith and be more stable than we ever were in our walk when we started. We pray the foundation would be laid for them that they might just have a wonderful walk with you their whole lives. Lord, we lift up those that aren't with us tonight. We pray that you bless them and minister to them, whether they're sick or just exhausted. We pray that you refresh them. And for those that are watching on the internet, we pray that you bless them also as they tune in. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians was written around A.D. 62, we believe. So we're about... Well, well, decades from Christ, okay? And Paul made it his aim. He was an apostle, which is not a title that we take lightly, I don't think. And it's really hard to nail down what an apostle is. Paul being an apostle would mean he's someone who was sent, went and started a church, got people saved from zero to 100, 150 people, and then uh, would set up leadership in those places and let that church flourish and move on to the next spot. And I kind of think of that as what an apostle is. But then we have Peter, which he kind of traveled and did some things, but really home base was Jerusalem. And then we had James, who never left Jerusalem, it seems. And uh, he was considered an apostle also. So it's really hard to, to nail down what that is. We know there were more than 12, Paul being one, Barnabas being one, and some others being considered apostles. Apollos was considered an apostle. So we even have people today that call themselves apostles, which I don't know. <laughs> um, that's a hard one. I, I guess call yourself what you want, um, but that's a tough one to, to label yourself an apostle. I think Jesus needs to do that. And so we kind of leave that alone. So I think there's a little more respect as far as I'm concerned. When I hear about someone being an apostle, I perk my ears, you know, um, I pay attention more. Um, and so Paul would be one of those apostles. And so as he writes to this church in Ephesus, he's writing from prison. One of the four letters that he wrote from prison, uh, well, he's in Rome awaiting trial and uh, four of the letters, the letter to the Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, but then also this Ephesian letter was written also. And this is to encourage, give him something to do too, you know, maybe give them something in writing. For the most part, everything was through oral tradition. And so you just have to trust that everybody was paying attention that Saturday when they taught or Sunday, and everybody remembered everything. And uh, I guess Paul saw fit to, let's get this stuff written down. And so though, although it's written to the 
uh, Ephesians. It's also being passed around to other people, obviously. 2023, Maryville, Missouri, where here we are reading it. And uh, we need to receive everything he has for us in this also, even though we're not Ephesians. Um, we want to know this. Um, the Ephesians were taught by Paul on his third missionary journey. And we'll find that in the book of Acts, chapter 19. He had such an impact in this town that this was the hub. It was a seaport, a very important city, um, very populated and busy and a lot of things going on being a seaport. And that'll be important later. And that's why I bring that up is because, um, well, we'll get to it when I get to it. When they put the seal of the Holy Spirit on us, we'll see why he uses that analogy or that metaphor um, because it applies to this city. They were also known, though, for the Temple Diana. Um, and if you remember Acts 19, if you don't, you can read it afterwards. You know, go home and chew on something else. Um, Paul made such an impact with the church that this seventh wonder of the world, this temple to Diana, was in jeopardy of going bankrupt, basically, because Paul had such a powerful impact, and obviously the Holy Spirit, by getting people saved, and they just stopped worshiping Diana. And so they weren't selling the trinkets that go along with worshiping Diana. And, and that's how they made their money to make the temple look great. And it was a tourist attraction as well as an object of worship. And it was going downhill because Paul spread the gospel and the Holy Spirit moved so powerfully in this town that uh, they're going bankrupt. That's how you want sin to go out of business, by the way. You want sin businesses to go out of business because people are saved. We can protest and we can cancel and we can boycott and do all those things. We want people so saved that they just don't participate in sin anymore. That's the best way. That's the best way. And so Paul had that effect, and the Ephesian church is a strong church. At the time, um, we believe that Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos are the leaders in that church while Paul's away. Um, those, are, If you don't know those folks, are very uh, prominent in the book of Acts. The first three chapters of uh, this book, uh, describe what we have in Christ, the riches that we have in Christ. The last three chapters have to do with our walk with the Lord because of what we have in Christ. Um, and then finally, the purpose of the church, which is very important. Um, we've lost track of what the purpose of the church is, and it's easy to lose track of what the purpose of the church is. The church is called to do one or two things really in Scripture. And beyond that, those are add-ons. Those are things that we've uh, put upon the church. The church has become the professional place where spiritual stuff is handled. And that's never the intent. The church is never meant to be a location geographically where people can get spiritual needs met, although that's part of it. Like this building is a place where the church meets, but the church is the people. And of course, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry is in this book. Okay, the equipping of the saints, that's what this building is supposed to be serving as, the equipping of people to go do the ministry outside of the walls of the church. That's all it's for. It's not the place to send people to. Oh, I've run into a spiritual need out here. I'm a Christian. I, I'm really good at identifying spiritual needs. There it is. You should go over there. That's not how it's supposed to be, although that's how it's treated you've run into that spiritual need because God wants you to meet that spiritual need. The Holy Spirit in the believer ministers much better when we're growing geometrically like that. We don't have to send people. We don't have to bring people. That's why that was the struggle with Jesus. Uh, 
he was the center, right? We all know that. And, and everybody, the apostles, the disciples would bring people to Jesus. And pretty soon it got pretty hectic. There's no room here. There's too many people. They're always pressing. What do you mean who touched you? We hear that over and over again. Well, at the end of Jesus's ministry, he says, if I go away, it's really a good thing because then I can send the Holy Spirit and he'll come upon you. And that's better because now wherever you are, I'm there ministering. That's the purpose of this letter. It's a meaty book. You're going to need a fork and knife tonight. And you got to get your dentures in so you can chew a little bit. We're going to have to really chow down here. But, and we'll go slow because I think there's a lot of doctrine here. We're only going to do the first chapter. We're not going to rush through this. But, boy, if we can get this book down and really understand this, it really helps us minister and be good ambassadors for Christ. Not just pointing in the direction, but being truly the hands and feet of Christ. Okay. Chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. There, Paul gives us his title. He lets us know who gave him the title, and he lets him know that it wasn't a vocation that he picked. I remember my pastor telling me, if you can do anything other than being a pastor, you should. That's a good lesson for anybody. If you can do anything else other than be a pastor, do that. If you can't, then you're probably called to be a pastor. You can't seem to walk away from it. You can't seem to get it out of your mind. It's just always there. Or you always find yourself in those positions. Paul was an apostle. I mean, he went after the church, and the church swallowed him up and turned him into the apostle Paul is what happened. And that's all he did. He wants everybody to know that he wasn't an apostle by the will of man. It was an apostle by the will of God. We need to know that ourselves. Everybody has a calling. Every single one of us in this room has a calling upon our lives. And we'll get into that when we get into Ephesians 4. But for now, we'll leave it at there. But just keep that in mind. Um, that isn't, like I said earlier, something for someone else to do. You may be called to that position, to that job, to that role to that gifting in your life. And that's what you do. It's not for other people. It's for you. And so Paul claims and lets everybody know what his calling is, and it's to be an apostle. It also tells us here in the next portion of verse one, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, which means this is directed towards the Ephesians, but also to anybody that reads this. So it includes us. We can't say, well, that was for the Ephesians. No, it was for us too. And he calls us all saints. Everybody's a saint. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. And you've been called to that. He wants the readers to know this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When you know grace, you have peace. Every time Paul writes these two words, they're in the same order. Grace first, then you have peace. If you don't have peace in your life or in your heart, it's because you don't understand the grace of God. And that's okay. But that tells you where you need to go. That's your prescription tonight. If you don't have peace in your heart, take the prescription that God provides for you. Take it till it's in its full strength. Let me cut in the pills. And take it till the bottle's gone. Grace, grace, grace. Grace is simple. That is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what it stands for, sort of an acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. The things that we have in God that he's given to us were at Christ's cost. He's the payment. And we've received the riches because of that payment. 
And when you understand that grace, that it's nothing you've earned, or it's nothing that God owes you, or it's nothing that God takes away from you, it's grace, it's given, then you can have that peace in your heart that you can rest. And Paul desperately wants all the believers, all the saints, to rest in their salvation. Stop striving and working and wondering and worrying. You know, Sam and I were talking about how we're falling apart, I more so than he, and some of you more so than me, because you're older. But death, is, it's coming closer. It just is. It just is. And things get, get a lot more simple as you discover more things are wrong with this hardware that seems to be failing you. You begin to focus more on the spiritual things in eternity, and you realize that step into eternity is closer than it was way before, and you can't ignore it anymore. It's right there in front of you. God wants us to have peace as we're moving closer to that. He wants us to have that. And so Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um. From here on out, you can almost underline or circle, if you want, in him, by him, or through him. You're going to hear that over and over again. And so, I don't know if I like musicals, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I do. I like musicals. There's some I don't like, but for the most part, there's an overture at the beginning of these things, which I don't like. I hate the overture. I just want to get through it. Let's get, the, let's get it going. I'm a little impatient. But the overture is very important. It goes through all the songs in the movie that you're about. It kind of blends them all together. It's a medley, you know, kind of thing. Well, think of chapter one of the Ephesians, a medley, an overture of your walk with Jesus and of the book. And in Christ and by Christ and through Christ, you'll come up over and over again. And it solves so many problems when we understand this doctrinally theologically. The the idea of this chosen or not chosen, predestined or not predestined, really becomes clear if we read this correctly. Paul is not trying to divide the church or trying to bring into question or make it dark and shadowy for us to be unsecure or insecure in our salvation or faith. It's meant to make us more clear. It's meant to shed light. And so if I get confused or feel a little more insecure about my salvation, I'm reading it wrong. Because that's not the intent of the Holy Spirit. He illuminates. He doesn't darken. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, keep that in mind, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That's a mouthful, I know. On a Wednesday night, a lot of you tuned out halfway through. I understand that. It's very simple. Paul just says we need to bless God for what he's given us in Christ. And it's in Christ that we're blessed. Think of it this way. And I think this is our problem with understanding predestination and choice and all these things, is we've got a lot of metaphors in the Bible that are different. I'm like a soldier. I'm like a runner. I'm like a fighter. I mean, Paul uses all of them. Now, those are just for specific points. You know, the word of God is like a seed. You're like a farmer. You're the soil. 
it's a lot. You're like the fish, some are getting thrown out of the net, some are being put into the net. Wait a minute. It's a lot. And so when we hear this, we hear that we just, that's it. That's the thing. Well, it's not that cut and dry. What he's trying to tell us in this is, Ephesians, please hear me. Everything you have is in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you've got it all. That's as, that's as much as you need to know. Jesus predestined Jesus, or God predestined Jesus, the Father predestined Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the Lamb of God, to be the resurrection, to be the light, to be the truth, to be everything. It's all poured out on the Son. Everything. Okay? Let me read some scriptures to you. There's a lot of them. Hold on. But they're all the same thought, but it's throughout Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Already we've got everything wrapped up in Jesus. Okay? You want me, the Father says? You got to have my Son. And that's how you get me. That's it. John chapter 3, verses 34 through 36. For he, Jesus, whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I put all my eggs in one basket, God's saying. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long And yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? They're interchangeable. It's absolutely indistinguishable between Jesus and the Father. Okay? Everything's wrapped up in him. John 5, 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So now he's the judge also. He's the only one we have to worry about. He's the only thing we're trying to deal with here. He's the only person, okay? 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 2 John 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide into the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Okay, I know I belabored the point, but we've got to get that settled. We all understand. Okay, we really need to look at this Jesus guy. He's everything. God's made sure of it. So if God has poured out all things into Christ, has given him all authority, he's over everything, now what he's asking everybody in the world to do, this is what John 3.16 means, is to get in Christ. When I'm in Christ, when I put my trust in Christ, I have everything. How do I get predestined? Get in Christ. Because Christ is predestined to be in heaven. And so therefore, if you're in Christ, you're now predestined. We make a distinction, and that's the problem, I think, with the argument between the two groups. Is some people are chosen to come into Christ, some people are chosen not to come into Christ. Never says that. The predestined one is Jesus, and anybody in the predestined one is going. He's a a ship. He's a a vessel. 
And we're in him. And so wherever he goes, we go. If he dies on the cross, we died on the cross. You hear that throughout scripture. If he resurrected, then we resurrect. If he's got eternal life, we have eternal life. You get the idea. Clears up so much. So let me read this again with that understanding. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I hope we understand that. Verse 7. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, In him, in Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Prudence word, the word there is knowledge. If you thought you were too far out of God's reach, you're not. And you're not tricking him and you're not fooling him. And it's not that he doesn't understand how serious your past is. He full well knew who you were and everything you would ever do in your entire life. And with that knowledge, with that prudence and wisdom, he made a way for you to come to him through Christ. It's very simple. Our struggle isn't with, are we good enough or bad enough to go to heaven? Our struggle with is, does God really know? It's a trusting in his word. He's trying to explain to us as thoroughly as possible. I completely know who you are, and I completely know what danger you were in by going to hell, and I completely understand the situation. I found a perfect solution. You just have to believe me. Get in Christ. Don't I have to work? Don't I have to try? Don't I have to struggle? Don't I have to feel guilty? Don't I have to have shame? Get in Christ. And all the riches that have been poured out upon Christ are now yours. Get in Christ. It's that simple. Paul's trying to make it simple. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. So there's a mystery. What does God really want? Paul's going to explain it. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, his choice, his decision, didn't need to do it, decided to do it, to send his son Jesus. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. His choice. Why did he do it when he did it? I don't know. I don't understand God's calendar. I don't know why after so many thousands of years, this was the time when Jesus died. I don't know why there's so many thousand years that Jesus comes back. I don't understand the calendar. He doesn't explain that. That's still sort of a mystery as to why He chose these things. Maybe it's in Scripture. We haven't discovered it yet. It doesn't matter. Paul's simply saying the mystery of his will is not why in the the times were chosen or what purpose does, you know, 3 AD, 33 AD, or whenever it is that it happened. Who cares? That's not the point. The mystery of his will is this. I want to gather all things to myself, and I found a way to do it, and it's in Christ. How do I make heaven meet everybody on earth? How do I gather these two groups together? Because they're separated now by sin. I cannot have holy up here and unholy down here blend. I've got to figure out how to do this. I'm going to send my son, God incarnate, on earth, 
Everybody's in him. I can bring them into them, into heaven. I'm going to gather all things to, to myself. It's, it's in Christ. The simplicity is almost stupid simple. I don't have to have everything straightened out in my head. I don't have to have this perfect walk. I don't have to have... The one thing I have to have is I need to be in Christ. That's all I need for salvation. A lot of things get worked out while I'm in Christ. Make no mistake about it. A lot of things happen to me while I'm in there. A lot of fixing takes place in there. I don't think I'm ever perfect, but I get better and better and better the longer I'm in him and stay in him. It just happens naturally. You can't be around a good influence and not be influenced. Simple. And the more I'm around Jesus, the more I am. When I, you don't care. You got to listen anyway. When I went to Superman in the theaters, that's how old I am. Like, no, the first one, Christopher Reeves guy, he's gone. They were selling kryptonite rocks. And they're just dumb rocks painted with some fluorescent paint. Oh, man. You know, my buddies and I all got together. We're in the 8 to 12-year-old range, you know, and there's this box of rocks or this table full of rocks, you know, and the little boxes, and it's official. These are kryptonite rocks. And, Coming up with how much money we have left over from tickets and snacks. We didn't think it through. We got our snacks for us. Ah. And they were just, you know, we came together and we only had enough for one box. So we looked through all the boxes to find out if any of them had two rocks in it. You know, here's the dumb thing. We get the rocks. We find one with two. Super excited. We each got our own rock. And you, you hold it in front of the light bulb as long as you can. And you go into the closet as fast as you can, and you watch it glow. And that was that was exciting to us. That was back, we, you know, you didn't have iPhones back then. We had rocks with fluorescent paint. And think of yourself that way. The, the, the longer you're in the light, the longer you are, the more you 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 glow him. You 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 pick up. And when you're away from him, and you're away from the light, the, the dimmer you get. Is the idea. So you're in Christ. A lot of things happen. We're getting fixed. We're being changed and transformed and conformed into his image the longer we're in Christ. It just happens naturally. Stay there. Paul's forever teaching, just abide. And that's my biggest thing as a pastor. I'm so it's so important for everyone here in this room to hear this and anybody watching online. Just abide in the vine. Just stay. I don't know if I can go another day. Just go one more day. Just stay with Christ. I haven't had my quiet time in months. Just read a couple sentences tonight and then go to bed. Don't put it on yourself. I got to read 12 chapters tonight to really observe. Just abide. The longer everybody abides in Christ, the better we become. The more like him you become. It may not be as fast as you like or as fast as someone who did read 12 chapters, granted. I mean, the longer you're there, the closer you are, the more time you spend, the brighter you shine. True. You can be as close to Christ as you want to. Nevertheless, just abide, just stay close to him. Let him pour into you. Let him spend time with you. You spend time with him. You pray. Little prayers, short prayers, not long flowery ones, just a little bit. I think oftentimes are far more impactful than the long flowery ones where we just ramble. Just get to the point. If he knows already, you can pretty much just look at him and say, <laughs> I know. And then go on with your day. And that's probably the most powerful prayer you've ever had with him. It's that acknowledgement. 
abide. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Why? Because Christ has gained the inheritance. Christ inherited all things. Therefore, if we're in Christ, by default, we get it too. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Christ is going to be welcomed into heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. Christ has done everything. He's completed the law. He's fulfilled it perfectly. Death couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead because death couldn't keep him down. Only death can hold sinners. And because Christ rose, he was not a sinner. And he was brought up into heaven. And you were resurrected with him. Now that's weird for us because here we are sitting in this room. And we're not seated at the right hand of the Father like he is. Or so it feels, right? And that's where the seal comes in. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. We've been purchased. We are the property of Christ. We are the property of the Father. We have the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may still be on the shipping dock, but make no mistake about it. He's coming to pick you up because his seal's been placed upon you, and you're going to be in the shop eventually, but you're just not there yet. But make no mistake, nobody can come by and grab you. Nobody can take you. You've got the seal of the purchaser on you, your His. That's the idea. Verse 13. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Shipping town. All the ships are unloaded. It's a lot. No forklifts, right? Back in the day. It took time to get everything unloaded off the ship. There it sat in the dock, sometimes for a long time. Because I got to find someone with a cart to get it from here, off the dock, into town, into my shop, into my warehouse, off to whatever town you were from. May not even be Ephesus, you know? I may have to take this thousand miles inland. I don't know, but there it is sitting on the dock. What do they do? The merchants come in, they meet their shipment. They take their little seal and they stamp it. It's mine. That's mine. That's not Fred's. Fred's is going to Antioch. This one's going to Ephesus, mine. And they go through and they do that. And that's what it means when you're, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, God comes along and takes his seal and stamps you with the Holy Spirit. You're mine. You're mine, you're mine. I mean, hopefully everybody here, right? But hey, that's up to you. I'm coming to get you later. The the redemption. You've been paid for, you've been shipped, you've arrived, you're there, but you're not there there. That's what Paul's trying to get across to the Ephesians. It's hard to wait. I don't know how long it's been since Paul's been to Ephesus at this point. He stayed there for three years and taught them, and they got the most doctrine out of any of the churches he's ever, that was the longest he's ever spent. It was three years. Corinthians was a year and a half, but the Ephesians, for three years he was there. I mean, they got some deep stuff. Well, it's been a while. When's Christ coming? I mean, even the disciples were concerned. Are you talking about the kingdom? Is that now? Are you setting up your kingdom now? 
No, I mean, yeah, the kingdom of God's at hand, and it started, and it's like you're there. You've been purchased. You've been sealed. But no, I don't know when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows when I'm coming back to pick everything up. But you've been purchased. Don't know that. And that helps. It helps hopelessness in this world. It helps loneliness. It helps depression. It helps anxiety. It helps fears and concerns that we have. What about this? What about that? Know this, at least. If you don't know the future and what's going to happen to you, at least know this. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And a promise from God absolutely happens every single time. He never breaks promises. Had a hard time with that back in the promise keeper days. I don't know if they're still around or not. I think they still are, but I got on that wagon for a while. My dad and I went to promise keepers in Denver and it was an interesting trip. We had a good time um, and it was meaningful and it is, it, it served its purpose, but they were asking us in these things to make some promises. And, and of course you're with the groups. They're all like, yeah, yeah. And in your heart, you knew that ain't going to happen. And so you leave that place with all these oaths that you've taken, these vows that you've made, and you're driving home going, I think I just lied all weekend long because there's no way this is happening in my life. You know? And so we became promise breakers instead of promise keepers. We wanted to keep the promise. We knew it was a good idea to keep the promise, but as a man, as a human being, one of the promises they said is you're going to go to a church. They asked us to promise to go to a different church when we got home. Well, no, we're not going to do that. But you did it. And he became a promise breaker. And I'm sure that's not how they meant it. I mean, they probably meant visit or, or whatever, but it was like, no, nah, I don't think I'm ever going to do that. When God makes a promise, he keeps every one of them, always has. He's faithful that way. It's not like he's kept most of them or he's 99%, whatever. He's 100% every time. And so if he's given us this seal of a believer, you believed on my son, you're in him, sealed. It's a, it's a for sure thing. It just hasn't happened yet. That's what faith is. That's all faith is. I believe that God said, if I'm in Christ, I'm going to heaven. And so I got in Christ. I'm still sitting here. I mean, I haven't died yet. I'm not in heaven yet, but I fully believe that when I die, I'm going to heaven. That's faith. I trust his promises. He's faithful. He's true. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. We've been purchased. Now, verse 15, therefore, he said all that, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And there's a colon there. Here's what I pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I want you to have that. That's what I pray for you. Not that you're all uh, disease-free. Not that you're all wealthy. None of those things. The thing I promise is that he gives you this is what I mentioned in my prayers, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. I hope you know Jesus better and better and better and better and better. Paul knows that's the key. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, 
Peter stumbles across this truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the knowledge of Jesus. Everything. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the knowledge of Jesus. How much time should we spend learning about Jesus, experiencing Jesus, walking with Jesus? All the time. Paul says, I never stop praying for you guys. It's so exciting to hear about your love. Turn to Revelation chapter 2 really quick. If you don't remember, Ephesus is the first church that Jesus writes to in the book of Revelation. He writes to seven churches, giving them some correction if they need it, telling them what he liked about them, what he didn't like about them. The first church he writes to, Jesus is to Ephesus. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, but you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. What drew Paul to pray for the church in Ephesus? That's all I hear about is your love. I hear about your love, and I'm so thankful for that. Your love for people, your heart for people. It's like they remembered the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, but forgot the last three, which we're going to get to. How to live it. I'm glad you know it. I'm glad you can spot the false. I'm glad you can call out the liar. I'm glad you can do all that. But you've stopped loving You've left. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Just turn around and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent or turn from it. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of paradise. That was Jesus' rebuke and encouragement to the church in Ephesus. That's what caused Paul to pray. I just hear of this love you have for all the saints. The church is a group of people, and every one of us has to remind ourselves to remember our first love, to remember why we became Christians. It wasn't so that we could know better than everybody else, although that's important to know, to have doctrine. Wednesday night, here you sit, <laughs> learning Ephesians 1, which is not easy. So good for you, but we've got to walk out of here and continue with that soft, soft, loving heart for people. We have to have that. And if Calvary is going to be known for everything, it better be known for that, first and foremost. Sound doctrine, absolutely but that we've learned from that sound doctrine to be loving people. Do not cease to give thanks for you. What a blessing it is. Verse 18. 
The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, I pray for that too, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the, glor- of his gl- of the glory, of his inheritance in the saints. First time we read that. I hope you know that. I, I think that's probably one of the biggest things you could ever learn as a Christian, is to know how the Father, how Jesus sees you, okay? We have an inheritance, Right? We get everything. I mean, Saturn, Jupiter, I mean, we get some really cool stuff when we die. We get everything Christ gets, we get. I mean, it is definitely way better than the lottery, right? I mean, we won some amazing stuff by being in Christ. But when God looks at us, he sees us as his inheritance. He sees the treasure that you are. We spend a lot of time often talking about how we're dirt balls and dirt bags, you know. Because God made us from dust. That's the funny joke we make about self-deprecating, you know, making ourselves less. We have to be careful about that. Um, because God made us in his image. And although we've strayed from that image by quite a bit, he's conforming us into that image again. So be careful about how hard you are on yourself. Be careful about how you bring yourself down in order to make yourself look humble, I guess, is why we do it. Or I don't know what the reasoning behind it. I don't know what our motives are, but it isn't pleasing to God. He's never asked us to do that. We're humble in his presence because he's so great, but not because we're worthless. You aren't. We're not. We're his treasure. He sent his son to go by the field of the earth. That's the pearl right? And the treasure hidden in the field, the pearl of great price, all this. He did that because he saw the value of you and myself. Paul says, you need to know that about yourself. You are God's inheritance. He inherits you. He's excited for you to show up. When you get into heaven, it's not a find a seat over there, you know, you're welcome. No. It's like a father who's been scanning the horizon for his long-lost son, sees him coming back home, wraps his arms around him, kills the fatted calf, wraps him with the coat, puts the ring on his finger, and says, my son was dead, but now he's alive. That's the welcome you're going to get in heaven. Not barely squeaking in, hiding out, back room with a plunger. That's how I see myself sometimes. I'll be the janitor up there. I don't care what I get. It's not how you get it. It's not it. You are his inheritance. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? I want you to know that. That's what I pray, Paul says, for you guys to know in Ephesus, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. When God says we can rest, that's what he means. Do you see my son Jesus sitting at my right hand? You're in him, aren't you? Relax. He's not up pacing in heaven. You don't need to be up pacing. He's not wondering whether he's going to be kicked out of heaven. He knows he's permanently there, placed there. If you're in Christ, so are you. It's settled. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion, dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also... Uh, it, in that which is to come. Now, why does he say all that? Why does Paul say that? Because some, they're coming from pagan backgrounds. 
Now, I know if you worship Zeus, you're better than those who worship Pegasus, or I don't even know the names of the gods, forgive me. Or I, I like Poseidon, and I'll get those mixed, Neptune, Poseidon, I don't know which is which, they're the same thing, different cultures, doesn't matter. But I worship Zeus, so I'm better. He's saying, no, 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 God has set you up above everything, so no matter what anybody brings against you and says, oh, yeah, but is your God greater than Poseidon? Oh, you wouldn't believe how much greater than Poseidon my God is. He's saying there isn't anything better. There isn't anything that can trump what's happened to you in Christ Jesus. Nobody, no one can take you from my hand. Sure. And verse 22, he put all things under his feet. (laughs) That settles it. And gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who who fills all in all. Now, You as the the body of Christ, the people here, you're his body. He's going to care for you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to watch you. And if you're a little gimpy, he's going to favor you a little bit. He's going to help you out of that. You know, we talk about that a lot. When you hurt your hand or you hurt your big toe, I got a big toe that acts up because I coach soccer. And I know you're supposed to kick with the side of your foot, but I didn't kick with the side of my foot because when I kick with my toe, it goes a lot farther and cooler. And so I'm trying to impress the kids. And I went up to this soccer ball, which is overinflated, by the way, hit it like I hit it, like a rock, and I just felt my toe. That's how you kick a ball. Oh, my. I know I broke it. I know I did, but no one... Still, this knuckle on this big toe over here is twice as big as this one over here. So I don't know what's happened to it, but it's healed sort of. But boy, you give me a day or I hit something the wrong way and I'm limping. And that's just natural. I favor it. I just favor it a little bit. And after a while, it goes away and it gets better. That's why we don't all get damaged every week. You know, some of you are on high and say, man, my Monday and Tuesday was amazing. Other of you are like, I haven't had an amazing Monday or Tuesday for years, you know. So the body of Christ kind of a little gimpy sometimes, you know. And the excited folks, you're going to have to carry your weight a little bit, a little bit more. You have to carry their weight. And you gimpy folks, just gimp away. But don't gimp forever. Heal. And then you can help and carry other people. And we just, that's the body of Christ. Works very well. Which is his body. The fullness of him. You ever think of yourself that way? You ever think of the church? Everybody's got a problem with, oh, the church should do this and the church should do that. Everybody's got a problem. Church is a bunch of hypocrites. You're talking about the body of Christ. Be careful. He says here that we're the fullness of him. Now, we're not perfect and we don't do things right all the time. We understand that. But don't diminish the church. It is his body and there is no other body other than the church. Okay? So... You're either in it or you're not. You're either part of it or you're not. And if you're not a part of the body of Christ because they're a bunch of hypocrites, then you're a dismembered part of the body, and that's disgusting. Nobody wants to see that. So join the body, make us better. And that's where we close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart to write such a detailed letter. He's got some time to kill. He's sitting there in prison thinking about all the saints Instead of thinking about himself, he's thinking about all these other people out there that need help and need encouragement. So he takes pen and paper and a little lamp, and he begins to write encouragement from prison. God, help us to be those kind of people. 
to be a blessing to those around us, to see the needs of others more than we see our own needs, and to begin to help others and take care of others. I'm sure it was helpful to him as he goes through all these thoughts and doctrines and theologies. It, it helped him in that dark place. So I know that when we serve others, it helps us. So Lord, help us to see that this week, to minister to those in need, to share this good news with others, that they can be in Christ as well. They can have sure salvation. They can be chosen. They can be predestined. They just need to get in Christ. Anybody. Help us to see those needs. Bless these folks as they go today. Keep your word planted in our hearts. Help it to grow deep roots that it can't be pulled up and it won't die uh, with the things of this world kind of scorching us and hurting us. I pray that it bear fruit in our lives a hundredfold. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys need prayer before you go? Come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a, a better rest of the week. How's that?